You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. We've been looking for some time, while I've been preaching on and off, um, and we've been looking at the idea of the devil having a playbook. Sometimes stuff happens, and it's because we're under attack. And so I've been looking at a few areas in which I believe the enemy tries to attack God's children. And there is a reason that he does this, because from his perspective, we are a mighty army. And you don't feel like that. You feel like you might be just, well, you might feel like that, but very often we don't feel like that. We just feel like we're ordinary people who gave our lives to Jesus and we're just struggling through life and doing our best. But the enemy sees us for who we are, I believe. He, he knows that if, if, if we're together and if we're a united force for the kingdom, we're an unstoppable force with an invincible king. And he's out to destroy the work of the kingdom of God. And the first thing I talked about was distraction. We talked about being distracted from the main points of the church, which is to love God, love people, and make disciples. Try to make it really simple, because then I can remember it and not need notes when I preach. Love God, love people, make disciples. And he distracts us from those things by getting us caught up in uh, trappings of church and, and, and distracts us with other uh, attractions that are in the world. Um, we, we get caught up in things and we're distracted from the core principles of the kingdom of God. And so the next thing that I talked about was doubt and we can doubt God's existence. Talked about that for a short time and we talk about more about how as Christians we can often end up doubting God's character and we end up not really believing that he's who he is. We sing about how great he is, we sing about how loving he is and then our lives don't show that we really believe it because we don't wait we don't trust, we don't rest, because we start wrestling instead of resting, and it's all because we don't really believe the things that we say we believe, and the enemy starts to cast doubts and feed doubts into our minds, and we talked about how to deal with that. And then last time I spoke, I spoke on despondency and I tried to get across to you that it's not a sin to feel depressed it's not a sin to feel despondent at times and we saw that there are many many characters in the Bible who went through periods of despondency but it's what we do when we're in that valley that makes the difference and we choose to turn to Jesus, we turn to look to him, we choose to share with family members and be authentic about it, and we choose to be a helping person to those who are in despair. And we decide that we will be a community of believers that are okay if someone comes in and they're not okay. We'll be okay if they come in and they're not okay. We're going to be real with each other. Now, it doesn't mean that when we come in and we're going through a really hard time, we just pour out all this depression on everybody else and everybody feels sad. But there's got to be a space for us to be real with each other if we're going through a difficult time. And some of those things aren't physical or financial, they're emotional. And so we talked about that. And the devil tries to bring us down. He tries to make us despair. He tries to use some of these other strategies together to bring us away from God's kingdom and the kingdom purposes. But today, the last one in the, in the book that I thought of was... I didn't think of it actually, I, I believe the Lord's asked me to speak on, is division. Now it's very interesting that I 
chose to speak on this. When I first planned this series, it was just three parts, uh, and then I just felt like division had to come in. Uh, And as I felt that and wrote it down and scribbled a few ideas, uh, Mark Goodyear said, when I preach, I'm going to preach on unity. Because, of course, all of these negatives have a positive response. And so Mark's going to be preaching soon. He was unable to the other week, and my dad stepped in. Um, But Mark's going to preach on United. So, (laughs) and uh, I'm sure there'll be some football references in there, knowing Mark, United! But the enemy wants to bring division. So I thought it'd be good to start with a definition. So I didn't go to the Oxford Dictionary. I went to Google and just the snippet that I got at the top without doing any deep searching, uh, I just got these two definitions. It's the action of separating something into parts or the process of being separated. The action of separating something into parts. Wouldn't the enemy love it if he could separate the church into parts? But thankfully, we live in a nation with no denominations and no splits, and people never leave the church. So um, fortunately, uh, unfortunately, I'm joking. What I liked about that first definition was the word process. When Andrea and I first got married, we moved to Liverpool and spent 10 years in uh, Liverpool City Life Church. Um, and the, the, the month we arrived, we, we went in and the, the pastor said, actually, there's going to be quite a few empty seats, um, partly because it's a summer and there's people away. But also, one of our elders has decided to leave and he's taken 80 people with him. That guy felt like it was his thing to go away and take 80 people with him. The rest of the leadership team, of the team leadership, did not give their blessing to this guy. And in fact, the pastor said to him at the last elders meeting, go and what you have to do, do it quickly. Those 80 people shrunk to about a handful of three or four people on a Sunday morning over the, three, over the next three years. The enemy had come in, but it was a process. It didn't just happen. It might have felt like it happened overnight. One week, there's suddenly 80 people missing from a reasonably large church. It was a process. It was something that happened over time. It might look sudden, but sometimes these things are a process. And if we can get in at the beginning of that process and spot it early, we can keep the unity in this place and build some unity with the other churches in this town, and we can be a force to be reckoned with. I believe that as revival comes to Brixham, it will be part of the strategy for, of God in that will be that churches are working together in a way they haven't done for a very long time. The second division definition is a difference or disagreement between two or more groups, typically producing tension. And the word I liked there, or don't like really, but I felt was useful there, is this division isn't a good one. The word word I liked was tension. I'm sure you've um, all experienced tension in the workplace or family life through division. 
I know when I first started training to teach, one of the workplaces I did a placement in for some months, the staff room was a place where you could smell the division as you, as you walked in. You could sense it. It sort of got into the fabric of your clothes. There, was sort of, there were four corners of a square staff room and there was a circle of chairs in each corner and you would not sit in that chair because that was a particular biology teacher's and he would sit there and hold court to his circle in the staff, uh, in, in, you know, break times and lunch times. And over here is where the students sat, uh, you know, the student teachers. And over there. But there was, there was kind of a, a real sense of division of camps and parties and, and politics. And, and, div- and there was tension in the staff room, a place you're supposed to escape from the classroom and go and relax. But you'd walk in and you could sometimes cut the atmosphere with a knife because I don't know why, something historic had been going on but there was groups and it caused tension. It's not a good thing and it does not belong in the kingdom of God. It does not belong in the family of God. And I'm sure you've had experiences like that yourself. I'm sure you know of families. Maybe you're part of a family where there have been schisms, splits, feuding even, where you just don't... Sorry, I tried to carry on, but I couldn't. Oh, it's that... It's okay because it's a Christian song. That's fine. I'm not going to let it cause division. And uh, it's fine. What was I talking about? I don't know. We've all, we've, yeah, we, we, I'm sure we've all, I was talking about trying to relate it to all of us. I'm sure we've had experiences in families or know of families. I, I've known of families where there have been people in that family. I'm talking about immediate family members who have been ostracized or, or, or just don't talk to, and sometimes generations go on and don't even remember why we're not talking to that side of the family or we don't talk to that side of the family. Don't even remember why. They're just different. We're just being, we've been brought up to dislike them. It's not right. It doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. Whether we're talking about within this church family called Brixham Community Church or between different denominations, it doesn't belong. It's not what Jesus is all about. It's not what Jesus came to set up. It's not what he had in mind when he said, I will build my church. It's nothing like what he had in mind at all. But from, from the enemy's perspective, it's exactly what he has in mind because if he, can, if he can divide us up, we won't be the force to be reckoned with. We, we know the principle of synergy, that together we're greater than the sum of our parts. We can do so much more together. And the enemy can see that more than we can. I've said it earlier in, in, in my mini speech just now, that we, we, we might not feel like we're powerful and strong, but in Christ we are. And I think the enemy knows that. And he's, he's just working on a damage limitation exercise because he knows the damage we can do to the kingdom, kingdom of darkness. And he's just trying to limit that damage. And I think if he can't get us through doubt and through despondency and the other D that I can't remember, he'll get us through dividing us. He'll get us through dividing us. And and we'll we'll divide over stupid things. It's it's, It's when we start making issues out of things that don't really matter. Look, I've put it on the screen. This is what matters. Our role in the kingdom is to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. And, and as soon as we start thinking about, well, I don't like the fact that they're praying over there now, because I preferred it when they were over there, out of the way. Or I don't like the fact that this is happening, or that is happening. And it's not, just ask yourself, if you've got a problem with something in church life, ask yourself, does it affect one of these three issues? And if it doesn't, just 
move on. Burn that piece of paper that you wrote it on. And, you know, we could talk a long time about those three things, but that, that is our focus. It's not always, uh, sorry, it's, it's always been a little bit of an issue. In fact, Jesus had to speak about it, and, and he said, if you get hurt or if you get into a problem with somebody, I'm not going to read the passage because I've got other little passages to read, but one thing we can do is take Jesus' advice from um, from Matthew 18, and he says, start with the person. Start on a one-to-one. So Ben's sitting here on the front row, and he's offended me because, um, I don't know why he's offended me. Let's just make something up. He kicked my dog, and uh, he's offended me, and I'm upset with him. <laughs> and so I just, I just, what I do is I post on social media something about Ben, no, I don't do that. I, I, I start a little chat group uh, and don't put Ben in it. Um, or I just sort of tell some other people, do you know what Ben's done? It really annoyed me. He kicked the dog. And the way he did it as well, it was so deliberate. And I, I don't know why he's done it. What do you think I should do? You don't know what I should do. You think I should... Think I, Think, kick his dog. You think I should kick his dog? I don't know. I'm going to ask someone else. What do you think? Do you know what? And I don't go to Ben. I go to Andrea. I go to Sabrina. I talk to my dad about it. We have a cup of tea and we, we talk about everything. And I get around, Ben, what did you do about Ben? And my dad says, talk to Ben. So Jesus' three-step plan, step one, talk to the person privately. And you'll probably win them over, especially if you pray first, talk to the Lord you get to your three points of the church. What, you know, my simplified version of what church is about. Point two, love people. And even if he did kick the dog, you've got to forgive him. 70 times seven till the dog's got cracked ribs and you've got, you've got a big vet bill. You go to the person first. You don't go to social media. You don't vent on social media or to other people in a veiled way. So I don't want to name this person, but the first letter's B and it ends in N. <laughs> you sort of, some veiled angst is coming out and it just sort of comes out here. And if you don't deal with it, it will come out because that's what it's supposed to do. Anyway, step one, you go to the person. You deal with them as an individual. You pray first. You talk to them privately. And I've had to do this. Believe it or not, people have offended me and I've offended other people in, in my life. I know. There are some people who have found me annoying in life. I don't mean in this church, but um, in, in the workplace, in other churches or whatever. I've had to speak. To, do you know, I, I can't think of a time where it had to go past Step one, if you do it right, if you do it prayerfully, if you do it in the right spirit of, of love and wanting unity, it, it rarely goes past stage one of see the person in private, finish with a bit of prayer together because you've, you know, you've sorted things out. Very often it's a misunderstanding. Just don't let it escalate. Nip it in the bud. The enemy loves it when we do this, when we just sort of get offended by someone and we carry that offence. Another thing we can do is, is just internalise it. and don't see the person, but we just internalise it. We don't tell anyone and we keep praying about it. Oh, Lord, help me to forgive them. Help me to forgive them. Lord, help my attitude. I hate that person. 
And, and all the time God's saying, go and read Matthew 18, see the person in private, take them for a coffee. Step two is, if that doesn't work, you bring some good Christian people with you and you try and have some, not, not a big crowd, not a gang. It's like, yeah, yeah, the, the Bible says I've got to take a group. And it's like this big intervention for dog kickers. You take a couple of select Christian friends and if you want help finding some, just to make sure. Do you think I should, do you think I should take this person? I, I want to see this person. You know, take some advice. Don't, don't rush into it. These things are very rarely that urgent, but they are always very important. If you don't deal with this, it will escalate. It's like this cancer that spreads through organisations, not just churches. As I say, I've seen it in the workplace. So you, you, you bring some people and you, again, prayerfully, if you bring in, if you bring in two people, say I'm going to go to Bear, I'm going I'm to go to Jiff and Dick. I trust these people. They're just lovely people. They love the Lord. They love people. I'll go to them. I think I might go to them and, and say, can we just pray first? So everything's soaked in prayer. Everything's done with a heart for unity. Remembering we want to love God. We want to serve him and honour him in the way we do things. And then we'll go and we'll chat with Ben, perhaps have, a, have something to eat together or whatever. And Sorry, Ben, I really didn't plan to pick on you at all. The third part of Jesus' three-point plan, so number one, go on your own. Number two, take someone with you. That's if number one doesn't work. And then if one and two don't work, you, you, you come to the leadership of the church and we, we talk about how we're going to move forward. It's kind of bring the whole church, but it's, again, it's done out of love. It's, it's, a, it's a question of if this person still hasn't changed their, their ways, maybe there is a problem we really need to get to the root of. Okay, so that's Jesus' three-point thing. But what I'd like to do is even avoid getting there, even avoid coming to that, because this has always been a problem. If, if you go all the way back to Israel, um, Israel has been divided Many, many times. There's been lots of things throughout, before Christ, where Israel was, was just divided over issues and over, over behavior and all, all sorts of things. And in, in about, somewhere around about 900 BC, um, there was a, a king called Rehoboam, and in, that, in his reign, the nation was divided and became two nations. You've got Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And... The sad thing is, Rehoboam's granddad, King David, wrote these words, and it, it was just totally against what, what David would have wanted. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And it goes on about Aaron's beard and stuff like that, and I don't want to go on about that today, so I've just skipped to the end, and it says, for there the Lord bestows some translations have commands his blessing even life forevermore on your chair or near it I've got I've printed that verse out for you to take home stick in your bible and just remember that just remember that there is a blessing for the church that is unified God bestows his blessing when his children live in unity that was Israel but um, what about the church Corinth were divided over leaders I know some of you, 
you, you get together and have coffee and, and you discuss whether or not you prefer Paul Black to John Petz. Um, and then you all decide, no, we all prefer Verity Hyde. Um, no, I don't, I don't actually think that happens. If it does, then um, move on. So, <laughs> but, but, but Paul had to address this in Corinth. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you. Now, you can't agree on everything, but over the important things that matter and over this issue that he's dealing with, you can agree. You don't follow John, Paul, or Verity, you follow Jesus. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And then another, the super spiritual one who comes in and says, oh, well, I follow Christ. But we shouldn't be having this conversation. We should be thinking about loving God, loving people, and making disciples. And the enemy comes in with silly little arguments. Well, that's just one church in the New Testament. There's also Rome. Paul had to write in Romans, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions. See, it's always been happening. And it's people that cause decisions. You might say it's an issue that's caused it, but there's usually someone who sort of pushes it that, that bit too far and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. There's some practical advice. If you hear someone talking in a way that's a little bit gossipy or a little bit divisive, just keep away. There are some people that just energise you and lift you up and do you good to be around. And there are others that you need to be polite with but just keep a certain distance from. And if they are causing division, you need to keep away as much as possible. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. But we're not going to be naive, are we? Because we are battle ready. We're putting on the full armour. We're Christians who stand before God and pray and talk to him and listen to him and, and hear his spirit just nudging us to say, that guy's a phony. It happens. People do come into church life and they are just there smooth talking. I've experienced it myself. Sometimes we've fallen for things and other times you feel a nudge that someone is just actually causing division. And sometimes flattery feels positive, doesn't it? And it's nice. But actually sometimes you realise that what's happening is they're feeding their own appetite. If you've experienced that in church life, I sympathise and then we move along to Crete, another church where we read in the book of Titus. Titus was in Crete, and again, Paul writes to him. This time, they're arguing over petty little silly things, which seemed very important at the time. But again, Paul would, I'm sure Paul would agree with me that to focus on loving God, loving people, and making disciples is more important than any of the things that they were arguing about. Preaching Jesus and him crucified and resurrected to people who haven't yet 
found him, seeing them baptised and, and brought into to newness of life is what we're all about. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies. That's the one sort of allergy you can't get a medication for. Genealogies. And arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. And, you know, it fills off to Bible college and there will be arguments about theology and, and there have been people that have... There have been Bible college students, I've heard stories of it, who've actually got f- in, into physical arguments, as in hitting each other, over a doctrinal issue, an issue in the Bible, just because they were so different in their beliefs about how to interpret a certain verse, they actually got into a fight. I've been close myself because the other person was so obviously wrong. It was just so infuriating. So I do understand, but it's not good. It's useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Not very politically correct, is it? Oh, that person's warped and sinful. I've never called anyone that before, and I don't really want to have to have to either. But that's Paul's words, not mine. And they are the words inspired by the Holy Spirit, we believe. So we've got some evidence that this has always been a problem. So just getting practical about this, I started thinking about Scrat in Ice Age, and there's one moment, Scrat is the little squirrel, saber-toothed squirrel, whatever he is, um, who, who chases that acorn all the time and never gets it. When he gets it, he loses it and all that sort of thing. And there's one point where he wedges it into a sheet of ice and causes a continental drift, you know, and you just see the, he looks at it and it's just the brilliance of the, um, the people who create these things, the, the expression on his face, uh, and, and you just see the cracks emerging and then the two massive tectonic plates go left and right. And it, for some reason, that image came to me. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants just to take a little nugget of something that even looks good. Just a little issue, a little issue, and just wedge it in and cause huge destru- destruction. It only takes a small acorn I mean, I know it's not historically accurate, okay, but you get the point. It only takes a small thing to wedge in and cause division. And I hate it. I hate, I hate it when I hear of, of broken marriages. I hate it when I hear of any sort of division. It just, it's just wrong. It's just not God's way. And if it could have been avoided, that just really infuriates me. You know what, like you, when you're watching something on TV, on a, on a film or a drama, and someone's doing something and you know it's not going to, it's the wrong thing. Everybody knows. The filmmakers have made it very clear that this is the wrong action, and they're doing it, and you're like, no, don't do it, and he's shouting at the screen, don't do that. That's how I feel when I see things just causing division in families and, and in churches and even in organizations. I just feel passionately about unity, and we have to strive to preserve that unity. So getting practical, there's two things. Number one is just ask yourself, if you, you could be the cause of division, okay? Let's just be honest. I could be the cause of division. And, and just 
have that little filter before you speak. Some of us need that more than others. Some of us need a, a boost to get us to speak, but other, others of us just need a filter before we speak. Before I say this thing, and, and just ask the Lord to help you with this, if, if this is a problem for you, just to give you that nudge, you get that feeling. Sometimes I'm about to say something, and it's not necessarily good or bad. I just feel like God says, just keep your mouth shut for a bit and let the other person talk a bit more. Or just leave some silence. I get that quite a lot, actually. <laughs> but at least I'm listening. I'm trying. I'm trying to hear him. I'm tra- trying to hear him. No, because as you can see, I can stand at the front and talk for a long time without any notes. It's easy for me to talk in a situation. And sometimes I just feel like God says, no, just keep your mouth closed it's not bad what you're going to say but it's better that you say nothing and sometimes it's worth just having a filter of asking am I helping when I say this thing am I helping with these three core issues that are on the screen am I helping are my words in line with someone who is 100% loving God Are my words in line with someone who loves the person I'm talking to and all their friends, their relatives and the rest of the world? I know, it's tough, isn't it? No one's, we're all going to have a vow of silence after this. And are my words making disciples? And that can just be building Christians up. You know, we can be building people up, discipling people. Is this a discipling comment? Does it, or or is, is, my, is my next sentence just in line with someone who lives their life that way? So that's my first tip, is just ask the question, am I helping? But the second one, a um, tiny bit longer, but I'll try and finish soon, is to love like Jesus. So there's another bit of the Bible that I wanted to highlight, which was where Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one Another. So that's talking to disciples. We need to love the world, but we, what, if, what if we could just take my three-part idea of what the, what the church should be about, love God, love people, make disciples. If we just take that middle one and say, well, we're going to narrow that down just for a moment. We're talking about loving people now, but let's just talk about in-house. We're going to just talk about loving other disciples love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another that is a very high bar that Jesus has just set he's told us to love your neighbor as yourself since the old testament but now he's saying love one another as he loved us. Think about how Jesus has loved you. Think about the times you've been faithless and he's been faithful. Think about the times where you just completely ignored him or the years you spent turning your back on him before you even came to him. And he loved you before you were born. He loved you before you came to him. He loved you before you turned to him. He loved you before you repented that's how we've to love each other. It's tough, isn't it? It's really tough. It's tough in a marriage. Andrew's got to love me before I say sorry. She's got to love me. This is what Jesus did. He loved me before I said sorry. She's got to love me before I turn back to her. She's got to love me 
because that's the command. And the same the other way around. I have to love her too. And we all have to be the same. It's a high, high bar that Jesus has set. We can only really do it with God's help. And that's, I think, part of the point. We've got to love like Jesus. We've got to love the people in the Baptist church as much as we love the people who are easy to love in this church. Not that they're not easy to love in the Baptist church. I'm just trying to bring a big contrast there down the road. We've got to love the people in the Methodist church and everywhere else. We've got to love... Because by this, everyone else will know who we are. What are we known for in the world? Christians, generally speaking. Take a microphone down to, you don't have to, you can just listen with your ear. Go onto the street, imagine you went onto the street to just do a poll of what do you associate with Christianity? Oh, love, definitely. Yeah, they all love each other. Sadly, I don't think that would be the answer. They might know us for our politics, they might know us for our divisions, for our denominations, they might know us for some kind of campaigns, they might know us um, as a building that now is a carpet factory or a car, you know, that used to be a church building, I don't know. But wouldn't it be great if we could turn this world around by being a group of Christians who are known for our love for one another? You know, they, they start to see that we are, we're, we're being loving to one another in a way that isn't natural. And that makes it sound a bit perverted. What I mean is by it's supernatural. Let me make it even more practical. I thought of one thing we could all do. We could do all these things. <laughs> Love is paid. We can be patient. We can be kind. We can not envy. We can choose not to boast. We can not dishonour other people in the church. We can not be self-seeking and not get angry with one another easily. We can not keep record of wrongs and, and delight in the truth. We can protect one another. We can trust one another. We can always hope and we can persevere with one another. That'll be easy, won't it? All right, I thought I'd just try and make it even easier, just for now. You can do all those things, and if you nearly ticked all those boxes, well done, we love you. Um, and thank you for your love. But for the rest of us, carry one another's burdens. You know, it's, it's nice to have a prayer chain, and it's, not, it's more than nice. It's crucial that we have this prayer team that pray and see change in people's lives. And it's wonderful when you get a response back. But some of us, we, we, can, we can just so easily just text prayers and thoughts, kiss, and, and that's it, the thought's gone. And someone's in need and we could actually help them physically. We could actually get out of our house and do something physical. We can carry someone's burdens together. It says carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love, isn't it? And this is how we do it in a really practical way. Just look out for people you can help in the church. And by this, the rest of the world will see it. They'll think, I want to be part of an organisation like this. I want to be part of that party. I want to be in. It's attractive. It's incredible. Those Christians, they love one another in a way that, they might not put it this way, they might not use the word love. Those Christians, they just look out for each other. And it just doesn't seem to be forced. It just seems to flow. When you, when you have coffee, just start listening 
listening to people and start thinking about how can I help this person? Not out of a sense of duty or pressure or just be excited. Where, where have I got an opportunity to help someone in a way that God's going to really use me and I'll be really excited by it? Because we can end up making carrying other people's burdens, we can end up making that a burden and then it's not right. It's not like that. It's like his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So there are people you can help in this room and it will be easy for you and it will mean everything to them. And that's, that's that kind of niche that we're looking for, isn't it, for each of us. There are people you can help. You've got a specialism, a, a, a car, a, a thing that can, you know, a, a segment of time. You've got something that can help somebody else that would be so easy for you and it would mean everything to someone else if you did that. And that's what I just feel is going to beat all this stuff about division. And I, I'm not preaching this because I'm sensing there's going to be a split in the church and I'm preaching against it. I just feel like the Lord is preparing us for good things. And when good things come our way, the enemy is going to attack some of us and trying to pick some of us off with doubt, with despondency, with despair, and with division, and whatever the other D was. Distraction. Yeah, I got distracted from it. There you go. Ha ha. He's going to try and pick some of us off because he's not happy. It's damage limitation for him. Okay. So, my last point. Division in the church achieves two things for the devil. Number one, it splits us up which limits our damage, I've said that, and it deters others from joining us. Because what, what kind of... If you're looking for a job, right, and there's a couple of companies you can join, which one are you most attracted to? The one where everyone sort of acts and works as one, and the, or the one where you know there's just division. It's like, oh, it's horrible. It's not an attractive thing to join an organisation that is clearly divided. So... The devil is rubbing his hands together when there's division. Don't think, don't think you're an island. Don't think that you can just say a few things and, and, and it doesn't affect anybody. The devil's rubbing his hands together when there's division. It splits us up and it deters others from joining us. But the reverse is also true. United in love, we are an amazing display of God's glory. And by this, everyone will know us as his disciples, and many will want to join us. I honestly believe that. I really do. It'd be great if you believe that too. I'm sure, I'm sure you do. Let's pray. I just wonder if there's anybody who needs to put something right with another brother or sister in Christ. I'm talking specifically about fellow disciples of Jesus. I'm addressing with one focus only, and the focus is unity in the church. I'm not going to ask you to respond in any way physically now, but I'm asking you to respond in your heart and resolve and even promise to God right now, vow before God in your heart, you will put that thing right today if possible, and if not, within the next 24 hours, whether it means a long-distance phone call, an email, a meet-up, an apology, put it right. I don't know what it is, I just wonder if there's someone who needs to take that kind of action. And believe 
in the benefits of doing it. Unity in the church. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is honest. It's honest about some of the stuff that went on in the early church and it's honest about how to deal with it. I pray you'll help us to deal individually with private matters that cause conflict. I pray you'll help us to trust you as we believe for unity and we believe that we will be a unified force for your kingdom, for your glory. I pray that this church will be united in love and an amazing display of God's glory in Jesus' name. Help us to carry one another's burdens. And and so the, the final thing to think about is, is there someone we can help? Is Is there anything we can do? Maybe you know already there's something you can do for a Christian brother or sister. And by doing that thing, you never know who's watching and is attracted to that kind of behaviour. Father God, I just pray that as we have coffee now, you will inspire us to listen to one another for needs we can easily meet that would make a massive difference to somebody else and help us to carry on and have that culture of behaving in that way. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.